Welcome back to Tech Conversations presented by the Florida International University Radcliffe Art and Design Incubator. We are in season five. I am your co-host, Maggie Salas-Amaro, and I have the pleasure today of welcoming in a journalist and a very inspiring person that I've had the pleasure to work with and know for many years now. I want to welcome in Jose Zamora, journalist and uh, Chief uh, Communications Officer at Exile Content. Welcome in, Jose. Hi, Maggie. How are you? Thank you very much for, for inviting me and for the space. It's it's great to, to be here with you today. Yes, you have an inspiring story, and we're going to get into all that. And you've kind of witnessed some historical moments, um, you know, in, in our history, um, in journalism and across, you know, content platforms. So let's kick it off. And for our listeners, you know, talk a little bit about your journey. Is being a journalist, a communicator, something that you always wanted to do? Where do you get this inspiration? Well, uh, you know, I, I was born into uh, uh, a family of journalists. Uh, my great-grandfather was a journalist. Uh, he, he, was, uh, he was sent into exile uh, for 15 years by one of uh, Guatemala's uh, uh, worst dictators. Uh, uh, his name was Jorge Ubico, and, and he... He um, expelled my great grandfather from the country, and he lost um, contact with his family for for fifteen years. And, and but he returned, and he continued doing journalism, and that was transferred to his uh, daughters and and sons, and then to my father, to his grandson, uh, and and my father uh, has also had an incredible uh, career in in journalism. Uh, well, I feel like he's pretty much where where I inherited this passion for journalism. Uh, I truly uh, admire him and and his uh, convictions and and, and principles uh, for using journalism as a, a tool or platform for public service. Right, it's a way of of serving others, of serving your community, and. Uh, Throughout his career, he has done that uh, in my country of origin, uh, Guatemala. Uh, and uh, from one side is to ensure that that citizens have the, the information they need to, to make informed the decisions. But from another side, uh, it has been uh, about uh, investigating and denouncing uh, uh, corruption in government, uh, organized crime, uh, and uh, abuses of power, and human rights abuses, right? And and ensuring uh, the that people know and that people demand a, an end to those uh, situations. So, so that's really what uh, made me go into journalism. I I was pretty much born into it, uh, and then. Uh, I, I I really inherited this passion and and I uh, yeah I feel very passionate about it. It's really, it's uh, it's really a way of uh, doing public service, right? Uh, and that's that's what I, I I I love about it. Yeah, I mean, you and I have that in common. You know, you probably don't know this about me because you've known me more into the content aspect of it. I I have worked in two different uh, news political shows, but. My, my family does come from a line of journalists and activists and all focused on community service. So I think um, that's something that drives us, right? It gives us passion to inform people and to 
do good and to get the word out there. So let's let's kind of turn the conversation because you know this podcast is all about technology and how it really has changed our lives. And I think there's one key thing that you were part of that people want to hear the behind the scenes. A couple of years ago, journalist Jorge Ramos, who's a, who has been at FIU, and we thank him for always engaging with you know with our students. Him and his team were doing a story on Venezuelan leader, and let, we'll, we'll say leader in a generic term, um, Maduro. And um, things quickly changed when he asked the question of whether or not he was a dictator. I think that's where the, the discord began. Yeah. And um, you know they took the, the team captive, they separated them. I'm sure this was an intense moment when you found out because you were working at Univision as senior vice president of news at the time under Daniel Coronel, right? He's co coming back now to Univision. We'll give our viewers that, that information as well. How did it feel to find that out? And how was the, the power of the State Department tweeting, you know, release them now, the world is watching, play into them getting released immediately? Well, it's uh, it's incredible, the, the, the power of social media. It, it's both uh, good and bad, but when it's good, it's incredibly good, right? And and really, mm -hmm. really wonderful. Uh, I still remember that situation. It was a, a, an, uh, a, a crisis and uh, we were in the newsroom. It was probably around 5 p.m. We had, the team went down to do this interview. Uh, they had been uh, told that the interview would happen at 2 p.m and they kept postponing it right which is part of of how they operate right like they wanted to get them uh, tired by the time uh, the, the interview started and then it finally started uh, we were very excited like they sat down uh, jorge started asking the questions and then like it was the i think the the second question uh, about whether uh, he should address him as uh, president or as a uh, dictator. And that's uh, when, when uh, he was very upset uh, and really acted like dictators do, right? <laughs> he stood yeah, up totally. yeah. and he, he stood up, he said the interview was over and they took the team, uh, they separated into different rooms and uh, immediately as they were being taken to a room, uh, Jorge still managed to call. He called Daniel Coronel, and I was right next to Daniel, and, and he told them uh, they are taking us hostage. And What a tense situation. I can't even imagine what that's like being in a foreign country that you don't know what's going to happen. That's why I feel like in this case, social media really helped. Like we know it can be destructive, like you said, but when it's done for good and it creates this massive domino effect of getting people aware, it really is so great, right? It's super powerful too. And uh, so as Jorge was telling us, they are taking us, they grabbed the phone away from him and that's the last we heard. And so uh, we went into Daniel's office, uh, the president of Unition News at the time, and we said, like, what do we do? And we said, like, one thing that I think both Daniel learned from experience in his 
trajectory as a journalist and, and what I had experienced in the past in journalism in Guatemala and here is that the best way to the best way and the only tool you have to to fight these uh, repressive uh, regimes and people uh, as a journalist is to to denounce what's happening and to expose it and so we immediately uh, started putting out uh, a statement uh, on social media and making calls uh, and and that led to to a massive wave of 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 citizens and, and people on social media demanding their release, and that also led to to that the famous tweet by the by the U.S. State Department saying that the world is watching, and that that like that decision to make it public and to push it out and to demand their release uh, was what really allowed them to 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 be allowed to to be freed and to be sent back to to the US uh, but it was a very tense situation but I, I think uh, if they thought that nobody was watching uh, they would have kept them longer uh, or or even worse things could have happened right so so I think yeah. it was um, it's a it's a great example of how when social media is used, uh, for good, it has a, an incredibly positive impact. Yeah, I mean, I remember it clearly. I, I was no longer working at Univision when that happened, but I remember that um, people were talking amongst each other in you know, messages and chats and were very concerned, not only for Jorge Ramos and the producers that were there with him, the camera people, they, they really feared for their lives. But, you know, I feel like if, the State Department had not gotten involved and you guys wouldn't have released a statement immediately, like taking immediate action. I feel like you said it would have taken longer. God knows what would have happened. But I think he felt the pressure because if he did not immediately release them, that would show that there is something of a dictator like regime going on there, which is what they're trying not to brand themselves as, but yet they practice it. So, you know, this is all over Latin America. Um, yeah. I like to call it the soap opera of Latin America because it is um, an ongoing one. I know you have your own your own personal situation. Um, I don't know if you want to touch quickly upon that. So my my father, who I I, I told you before how much I, I uh, respect and admire him. Like of course he's my father and I love him, but as a professional, he's an exceptional journalist with an exceptional. Uh, career and trajectory. He's uh, one of the world's 50 world press uh, freedom heroes uh, he's uh, like his work is world renowned and uh, during the last administration in Guatemala uh, because of some uh, really important investigations his team and, and he uh, published uh, the this uh, this latest administration that has been very repressive imprisoned him and he has been in prison for over a year uh, on a fabricated case just because they wanted to silence him right uh, and uh, and just because there there was a there was a movement to fight corruption in the last decade in Guatemala and they consider uh, el periódico his newspaper to be part of it uh, and now that the the corrupt 
took over the system, they they want revenge, and they uh, so they captured him and they have had him in prison for for yeah for o- over three hundred and eighty plus days or and um, and really like they wanted to punish him directly because he exposed their their corruption. Uh, they wanted to ensure that the the newspaper shut down. But most importantly, like what they really wanted to do is to send a message to all, all journalists in, in, in the country that in Guatemala doing journalism is a crime. And, and, and I think that's, uh, that was their, their main effort. Uh, but at the same time, what, what it's uh, really great to see is that even though they have him in prison and, and in a way he feels like him being in prison also exposed them as uh, as what they are. Uh, it's also a way for him to continue fighting that corrupt system. And and from another perspective, I think that, uh, and this is great to see how uh, journalists, uh, Guatemalan journalists, are now working uh, closer together, and they are. Uh, collaborating and they continue to do the the work and the investigations that el periodico was doing uh, so yeah, so that's so that's an example of two things it's one somebody trying to uncover you know put the truth out there because that's what journalism is freedom of the press and then the other extreme which is oh you're trying to expose me i'm going to shut you down so i think that you know um I know this has been talked about it. There was an article in the Washington Post. Um, I know you've been on several programs. I know you went in front of the the United Nations. Is that correct? Also to talk about this 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 case and also about freedom of the press. Um, let's switch over quickly because there's something that's brewing right now with the writer strike that we've all sort of experimented with, which is AI ChatGPT yeah. and how that's influencing journalism. You know, as a former producer of news. I did not have ChatGPT. Everything came from up here and from my knowledge and from contacts and putting together stories just like you have the traditional way. How does that, how does this new normal um, really impact what we are seeing in the delivery of journalism? Well, it's very interesting because I think since the beginning of, of the internet, right? Things started evolving and 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 what has happened is really like the the only constant is change right and that change is it only gets more and more accelerated every day and 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 chat gpt is an example of that so now you have this incredible tool uh, that allows to do a lot of things faster uh, so just like what we were talking about social media, like it has great benefits if mm-hmm. used with a, a good uh, with with if used for good, but it could also be a nightmare, right? Uh, because it really allows you to do great work, uh, and it's a great tool, but but you do have to to use it uh, in in a good way. Uh, I I uh, have a friend and, and colleague. Uh, I actually need to introduce her to you. Uh, you would uh, enjoy talking to her and, and probably have having her 
on the show. Uh, uh, she's uh, her name is Garance Burke, and she works at the IP, and she has become an expert on on AI. and And she recently, with a colleague, wrote the the addition of uh, all of the AI principles for the AP uh, style 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 book. So uh, in general, I think it's really a great tool that can enhance how we do things. It's a it's a very powerful tool that can allow us to to do deeper investigations, to access more uh, information and to present it and make it accessible to audiences in very effective ways. I'm sorry, my my dog is crazy. <laughs> it's, so, a, it's, a, it's a live podcast. We, yeah. There's noise of every kind. That's why I always say it's a light conversation. We keep moving. <laughs> so it's, it's really a powerful tool that can help uh, in, in, in the uh, journalists, right? I, I think it's... Um, it's a, it's a it's a super tool right like it's um, and but the thing is it can also be used for for bad things by bad actors right so i think that's where we as journalists need to make sure we are using it to 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 fight the bad uses of it, and and I think one thing that we talked about before we were about to start, and I and we were going to talk about is 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 uh, fact checking, right? And yes, we can we can definitely move into that now. So I want to get your thoughts on fact checking because we use them in the newsrooms, mostly during elections, debates, things like that. I know at Univision they had it. I think they called it. It was like a fact checkometer. Yeah. Right. We. Uh, um, Actually, like a colleague, uh, um, a colleague of ours, and and I, we were very involved in in launching it, and it was the the first fact checking platform, the first Spanish language fact checking platform in the U.S., and it's called El Detector. Uh, okay. Now there's uh, there are a couple more, and there's a, a another great platform now. Uh, called uh, Fact Chequeado. So those are like the two main fact checking platforms in Spanish focused on serving Spanish language audiences. Uh, and the, the thing is, that's what will be interesting about specifically about this upcoming election. It's the first election in which newsrooms will have to deal with artificial intelligence. And it existed before, but now it's really polished and refined. And and so, the the they like there's groups that will use artificial intelligence to exponentially amplify this information. So that's where fact checkers are incredibly important because uh, they need to quickly address those. Uh, those, all of those uh, all that, that misinformation and disinformation and explain to our audiences what is what is fact and, and what isn't. Um, yeah. I think before it was still a, a, a massive problem, but less challenging. But I think uh, the existence of AI, it makes it an exponential, exponentially larger issue, right? But at the same time, it will allow fact checkers to use AI to combat that misinformation. So 
it will be very interesting uh, because now there there will be more disinformation, but there will be the tools to to fight that misinformation in a better way too. Um, when it comes to to Hispanics, to the Hispanic community, it's amazing because uh, both uh, uh, African Americans and Hispanics uh, are are uh, are like big users of of social media and and and, mo and mobile phones, and that's where most of the disinformation spreads. Uh, and during the last elections, we saw that Hispanics were a big target of misinformation and social media platforms have teams and budgets to to fight misinformation but most of those resources go to fighting fighting misinformation in english uh, so that's why these uh, efforts to 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 do fact checking in spanish are so important and 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 i think that's why Examples like Univision's El Detector and, and Fact Chequeado are, are going to be more important than ever during this election because they are the ones that will be able to, to explain to audiences uh, what's, uh, what's true and, and what isn't. And, and also, uh, more and more, they are also doing that work on on WhatsApp, for example, uh, a lot of misinformation spreads through uh, messaging apps. Uh, like in the past, one, one, one. Th there was one specific piece of misinformation that was constantly being shared on on WhatsApp, for example, and it was that there were immigration rates happening uh, in every city, and people would start sharing that information and sending pictures of a, of a, of a bus that was picking up immigrants and uh, in, like we were able to figure out in the newsroom that uh, that was something that was constantly happening and and that that picture was from like 12 years ago in a town in Texas and so when you start to identify that there's specific types of misinformation targeting specific communities, uh, you are able to, from one side, immediately fact check it and share the fact checked information with the communities in the platforms that they were in which they are receiving the misinformation. But it also allows you to write articles to debunk that misinformation and ensure that people have it handy and they know what's what's happening. I mean, that's incredible. How do you think that, since you mentioned that this is really gonna be the first election, the 2024, that is using you know AI, we, we saw some of the fact-checking previously. How do you think this influences the debates that are coming up and, and the way that candidates are viewed based on you know what they're talking about? Because we always get these, <laughs> these after emails and and social media post of this person had, you know, 33, the other one had 40, like they fact check everything that was said, how many times people were attacked, you know, all that stuff. How do you think it influences the candidates, like them trying to gain, you know, voter confidence? Well, I think it would be 
from from one like I think it's it's going to be very interesting because also the fact that journalists have these like really powerful tool, tools uh, will allow newsrooms to to fact check information even faster than ever uh, mm -hmm. have access to more information and uh, and so there's still is a methodology to working with AI and, and doing fact-checking. But I think candidates should be very aware that these powerful tools exist and that mm -hmm. will be in newsrooms. And that should should keep them very honest and, and more honest than ever, because it will be easier and fast, faster to, to fact-check their statements. And what do you think about, I know we, we touched upon it when we first start, started talking about AI in the newsroom, you know, how producers are now dealing with the fact that they sit there and they want to write, you know, their, their scripts, they work with the anchors and with the reporters. You know, it's a synergistic approach. It's always been to writing what you see on the air. Do you think that the chat GPT is or is not a good idea or you're not sure yet that it should be consulted? you know, when you're trying to put together scripts? I think it's a great idea and it's a great tool and it's uh, and it's uh, it really enhances what you do. It's like, you remember that program, the, the Bionic Man? Uh, mm -hmm. It's really like this super tool that allows you to do incredible things faster and better because, but it it also ha has its challenges, right? It's it's not perfect yet. Uh, it has these uh, things what they call hallucinations. So even if you ask uh, things and you put the right prompts, sometimes it can give you information that isn't correct. So I think it's definitely an important and uh, tool, a very important and powerful tool going forward. But journalists still need to be very careful and aware of using it but also making sure that they review everything and edit it and and work on on whatever it produces right you can't re simply rely on 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 the output you you have to 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 work on it because so if you, yeah go ahead go ahead and finish if you do just like use whatever comes out without uh, looking into it and, and cleaning it, then it, it's going to be a big problem. Yeah. I mean, what I was going to say was that I've used it myself and experimented with it, just consulting. Like I have this paragraph. I just want to see how much better it'll be if I put it on chat GPT and it's come back embellishing it and putting things that weren't even part of, of what I was trying to write. And I just, I gave up after a few times I told it to compress it and what I was looking for. And I said, I just better use my mind <laughs> <laughs> because this thing is driving me crazy. But but you're right. I think it is a good tool, but I always caution people um, because, you know, at FIU, um, students will ask about ChatGPT and we're always very cautious um, as, you know, people that they come to for mentoring or advice. And I'm always like, you know what, you can use it. You can consult it because it might bring back something that is not part of what you've written that could be of added value. But I'd still proceed with caution is what I say, yeah. because you don't want to copy and paste something that's embellished with incorrect information and turn it into a professor <laughs> and have the professor be like, this is an F. 
right? Exactly. Um, I think yes. you're, you're totally right. Yeah. So as we wind the podcast down, Jose, it's been such an amazing pleasure to have you here. Um, um, you know, I'm also the director of Canela Kids, um, and I've interacted with Jose because his company, you know, Exile, um, we co-produced um, the second season of a very fun show called Club Mundo Kids. And as we wind down, I just want to get some final thoughts, you know, on the future. You know, what does the future of journalism really look like? And we can we can close it there. I think uh, it, you know, like uh, uh, there's been all these changes in the industry and in journalism. Uh, I think uh, the fact that there's so much new technology and and the only constant is change that has also changed the the business models of how journalism is funded, and and that's a big challenge. But at the same time, I think all these tools. Uh, will allow us to find new business models. And, and most importantly, I think it will allow newsrooms and, and, and journalists to serve their communities better. Uh, and so in, in general, I feel uh, very hopeful uh, about the future and, and how journalists will use uh, technology uh, and, and whatever comes next to better serve their communities. And, and, and I feel, uh, especially after the last year in which uh, I personally been going through these um, issues in Guatemala with, with my family and, and my father because of journalism, I, I also feel like uh, journalists are doing a, a great job uh, and 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 they uh, are very focused on on serving their communities and ensuring that they have good information and and ensuring that uh, anybody who who abuses uh, power or uh, is uh, knows that that the world is watching and that ties directly back to what we discussed at the beginning of 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 the case of when when Jorge and his team were uh, uh, held hostage um, under the Maduro regime, uh, that I think all of these uh, tools allow us to to pay attention and to to make uh, bad actors know that that the world is watching in in a very efficient way. So I I, I think. Uh, journalists uh, have a, a, a bright future and we just need to co continue to constantly adapt and, and ensure that we use these tools in the best possible way to, to, to serve, right? Yes, I mean, you, you hit it right there. I mean, that, that famous State Department tweet will forever, I think, live. It lives in my mind when I think about examples of how social media really did a, a positive impact because we see a lot of negativity a lot of trolls a lot of people you know putting negative things and i think it needs to be used in journalism specifically to bring attention to these things to give a voice to those that don't have one and that's really always been the purpose of of journalism you know to really have that freedom of expression freedom of the press and you know while we navigate challenges in current times i think it's good to keep in mind you know that the world does watch. 
because as soon as you put something out there, it becomes this big, you know, this big thing comes out in the news. I think it's, it's also important. And I want to reiterate this because I see that local um, communities and local journalism has taken a backseat in many ways. And I think we need to bring that back. I think that local television, local news continues to be a pillar and important in any community. And I think great attention needs to be brought in resources and, and continue to have, you know, those, those public information shows, those political Sunday morning shows, not only, you know, meet the press on, on the national level, I'm talking about continuing to support the community shows and local news, you know, at FIU, they do a wonderful job of working with NBC and also with Univision through their STEP program in training these journalists. And I think it's not only about reporting national news, international news, it's also reporting what's happening in our local communities and the spirit of what, you know, journalism stands for in also creating, you know, community. And I think that's important. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's why local stations and, and newspapers are so important because they have the direct connection with the community and with their audiences and who with the people they serve. So I think uh, all of the work that, that is done by, for example, the, the NBC local news group, right? And and uh, with the Telemundo local stations and Univision local stations, it's so important because they are the ones that really serve the community directly on a daily basis. Completely agree. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jose, having you here in this conversation Thank on you, how we Mike. still need to communicate and and really, you know, again, I'm a strong believer of you know giving a voice to those that don't have one and bringing issues to the attention of policymakers and community leaders for for change. And that is really what, what journalism is about and has always been. Thank you, Maggie. I, Thank I you so much, Jose. We'll see you in the next. We'll invite you back on the podcast. You have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you.